Here we go, June the 30th, 2013, uh, lecture discussion, all kids are dismissed, run kids like the wind, escape, here's your big chance. Uh, again, lect- uh, June 30th, uh, 2013, lecture discussion number 115, 115 on the book of Romans, and um, yes, uh, we are still stopped at Romans 5, 12 through 14. Um, that is something that is absolutely important for you to know that you cannot get past Romans 5:12 through 14 or through 15 in this case that I wrote up there should never be surprised how long it takes just to deal with those three or four um, uh, uh, verses and it is astonishing what is there and you should expect to stop there it Romans 5:12 the reasons for the virgin birth is established. In other words, this this concept is, is the virgin birth that no one in all of history even considered except for the Bible, except at the time it was written, it was absolutely unique. We have a tendency to take it for granted, but nobody thought of a virgin birth. And all of a sudden, here it is written in Scripture, and the reason that the virgin birth is necessary, if you want to use that language, is is given to us at Romans 5.12 and uh, through 14. It's established that uh, the virgin birth is at Genesis 3.15, and I Isaiah 7:14, and it's explained at Romans 5:12. If you want to think of it this way, the why we have to have a virgin birth is at Romans 5:12, and the how, how did he do it, is it is explained at Romans 5:12. So any questions you have on the virgin birth is um, is a Romans 5:12 study. Why God established this virgin birth process or system in the first place, and how He did it biologically, how He Exactly, he did it. And as you know, this is the what? Scientifically, this is called the continuity of germplasm. Some of you will see it as this, the germplasm. So understanding the how is the continuity of germplasm, the biological process that he used. And, of course, um, uh, that is something that all of you, I, I can't say this enough, you should not go through your life without understanding the scientific principle of August Wiseman's uh, continuity of germplasm. Why it's not taught in the high schools, I get it. I know why they don't. I know why they don't teach it in the colleges either, because it establishes the virgin birth at Romans 5.12. The last thing they want you to know is that that is a true thing. Um, it explains the how. So you, do, you have to be almost uh, in a scientific mindset. It's important that you understand it. Again, uh, when the summer's over, I'll pound it again when the vast crowds start to come back uh, as school starts. And, of course, something else that I've been repeating constantly, and, and I'm doing it by design, is that the virgin birth... Uh, necessitates the body resurrection. So I have this relationship, if you will, between the virgin birth and the body resurrection. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, first and foremost, never separate the virgin birth. I better write birth. Never separate the virgin birth from body resurrection. Whenever you read virgin birth, think to yourself immediately the body resurrection. Uh, let me say it in a better word a better way, more precisely. The virgin birth of God by God. Notice how I said that. The virgin birth of God by God. God is the infant. God is the Father. Simultaneously, it is of it is God, God. The virgin birth of God by God, therefore, makes compulsory the body resurrection of God by God. Does that make sense? The body resurrection of Christ, who is God, was accomplished by himself. The entire Godhead, the triune Godhead, raised uh, the body of Christ. And he, of course, is part of that. Not part of it, he is that. Part is a triad. They are triune. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all God, all the same. Three manifestations. Triunity. So let me read it again. I wrote it. I should be able to know it. But just to make sure I get it perfect. The virgin birth of God by God therefore makes compulsory the body resurrection of God by God. And the reverse. 
or the inverse, if you will. The body resurrection of Jesus Christ then makes the virgin birth of Jesus Christ compulsory. If I have one, I have to have the other. I cannot have a virgin birth without having a body resurrection. I cannot have a body resurrection without having a virgin birth of Christ. It's not true for us. It's true for Christ. And we should also expect, by the way, uh, this. And I don't know how to explain it. Um, I'm no longer surprised at the vast number of Christians who have no idea of what I just said to you. Vast number doesn't even, the overwhelming, 99.5%, I'm sure it's that high, have no idea of the relationship between the virgin birth and the body resurrection. They don't know that the two uh, necessitate each other, what I just said earlier. The virgin birth is, requires the body resurrection of Christ. The body resurrection of Christ requires the virgin birth. They have no idea of that relationship, no ability to explain either one, the process of either. They're, we're Christians, are supposed to be. We don't even know how the virgin birth occurred or why, much less explaining the continuity of germplasm. We don't understand the triunity of of uh, God, if we don't understand the body resurrection process of Christ, and we certainly don't understand, I'm not speaking for this group, I know you do, I'm speaking of the church generally, the church generally has no idea what happened at the crucifixion. All of that's the case. And, and frankly, they have no interest in knowing anything about any of that. That's the general condition of our modern contemporary church, today's church. That's its central characteristic. Uh, willful, willful ignorance of the doctrines and deep complexities and mysteries of the scripture. You don't get any more deeper and mysterious than the virgin birth or the body resurrection of Christ. Much less God adding humanity, the incarnation, if you wish to uh, look at it that way. God becoming man, this incredible mystery. Without controversy, a great mystery. God in humanity or humanity added to God. It's one of the great mysteries. It is the great mystery of the Bible. How did infinite God show himself as a human being, adding humanity and yet maintaining his infinity, his godhood? So all of that uh, is just not, no one wants to even discuss it in the church today. Like I said, willful ignorance uh, as the central characteristic. And by the way, that willful ignorance is accompanied by a rush uh, to proudly and as loudly as possible proclaim uh, said illiteracy. In other words, uh, not only are they willfully ignorant in our church today, um, but they're proud of their I- ignorance. We are Revelation 3.16 now. Laodicea. Prophesized in the Bible that the church at the end of the age would be overflowing with wealth and filled with wailing, manipulated, crying congregates who care not at all for the doctrines of Christ. That's what we got. That's the condition of the church. Buckets of money filled with willfully ignorant people who, who, by the way, are manipulated usually by the drummer and the bass player. You can go to school and learn that the drummer and the bass player can get, especially young people, to release brain chemistries. In other words, most normally endorphin. They can release them. And those people think that that brain release, that chemical release that gives them goosebumps and adrenaline in their stomach, they think that's what? They think that's the Holy Spirit. You can't get dumber than that. I don't think it's possible. Okay, it is. It is possible to get to. Bill corrected me back there. But it just, it just breaks my heart to watch this stuff happen. And, and it just continues. And, and again, Christ said at the end of the age, look, this will be the condition of the church. You'll have a lot of money and I won't be in there. You'll be doing things that I have no part of me. I'm on the outside beating on the door. Asking for somebody to invite me in, because I'm not there. In a, in a, not in an omnipresent sense, but as you know, that's an, uh, an example or an allegory. 
So we have a Christless church at the end of the age. And that certainly is the case now. They, if I walked into any of these huge, monstrous churches where they're all crying and, and screaming at each other, thinking that they've got something to value, and asked them simple doctrinal questions, I'd get F's across the board. No question about it. I've done it. I know it's the case. I talk to them all the time. Not as much as used to. I will say that. They, they're not... They're not hunting me down like they used to. I was a, a novel idea for a while, but after 20 years, uh, I've kind of worn out my uh, my novelty. Okay. As you know, I have this cliffside question. I've been doing it for many, many years. Do you want to feel or do you want to know? Now, I make that mutually exclusive. It's not. But for the sake, grant me the... Uh, 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 a hypothesis here, the premise. Do you want to feel or do you want to know? And that question has been answered. I thought it was in doubt. It's no longer in doubt. That question has been answered, sadly. It's been answered politically in this country, educationally in this country, and spiritually in this country. And the overwhelming answer is uh, they want to feel. No one wants to know anything. Give me some kind of feeling. That's what I want. It's long been said by far wiser men and women than me. Um, these are my words, but you can find it written much better than this. When the church replaces knowledge with feeling, so too will the government and the schools. We will dumb everybody down. Once the church loses the emphasis on doctrinal understanding, the whole society collapses, especially the educational system, and followed immediately by the governmental system. The government uh, it finds uh, people who are ignorant to be the best kind of people. They're the most easy to control. The faster I can get you all into the same city, the easier I can fence you in. It's very simple. Educated people have a way of dispersing and they're independent. By educated, I mean truly educated. And the church got away from teaching doctrine. I'll never forget, he's dead now, a, a Catholic priest. If the doc was here today, he would, uh, he would know his name. Um, um, I won't mention his name now either, but he was a father, uh, um, Catholic priest at the school. And um, he came to me and he said, uh, you know, the sad thing about the Protestants, you Protestants, is that you are no longer teaching the Bible. And if you are no longer teaching the Bible, we certainly aren't. We have a tradition-based system. And if you're not doing it and we're not doing it, nobody's doing it. We've got tradition and now you've got feelings. We're in a lot of trouble. Nobody's learning the Bible. That's what's happened. Okay, so where are we? That's the introductory rant. We are at 2 Kings 1 and 2, right? Because we are talking about the body resurrection of Christ, and you go to 2 Kings 2 to do that, as you know. There it is. It's also in 1 Kings, or 2 Kings 1, sorry. I keep making that mistake. So 2 Kings 1 and 2. And what we're really doing, actually, kind of today, is we're at the, the end of 2 Kings 1, which is, I'll say this again later on, which is really 2 Kings 2, 23 through 25. So in other words, there really isn't a 2 Kings 2. It's all 2 Kings 1. I wish they hadn't split it up. Uh, that causes confusion with people. They think that, okay, I'm done with this chapter. I have a completely different chapter that doesn't relate to the previous chapter. That's a horrible mistake. You wouldn't do that necessarily in your novels or your books that you read. But we do it here because of 30-minute sitcoms. After 30 minutes, we get something new. Well, that's not the case here in the Bible. You've got a whole Bible that's uh, connected to itself. Uh, that's one of the proofs, by the way, that it is God-breathed. But in any event, you, the end of Second Kings 1 is Second Kings 2, if that makes sense to you. I'll explain that in a minute. So we got these two bears. We're attempting to solve the puzzle of the two bears. i got two bears that kill 42 guys. And we got to figure out why. What's going on? Why do I have these two bears killing these people? And and by the way, that's the best way to break it up is to ask it that way. Why two? Why 
female, or she-bears, they're called. Why bears? So I'll break it, instead of saying, why two female bears, I'll break it into even further. Why two? It's obviously helpful to break it down that way. It's equally obvious, isn't it? If I'm asking why two, then I can immediately start answering that by saying, why not? Why not three? Why not one? Why do I have two bears? Three bears, I could have Goldilocks. Everything would work out just nice and clean. My first question is, why not... I got 42 soldiers there, and I'll make that case probably in two weeks. Uh, for those of you on the internet, uh, we're taking Fourth uh, of July off, and we'll be back on the 14th. Uh, in case you're worried about us, and some of you are, and that's a wonderful. But uh, why not 10 bears, or 42 bears, or 50 bears, or 200 bears? Why just two bears? Okay. And, and and then why not male bears? See the the that those details are not irrelevant. There's no irrelevant. There's no um, what's the word that I'm searching for now? Can't find it. Coincidence. There's no coincidences. These are these are purposed. There's pur- there's purpose to the two. There's purpose to the female, and there's purposes to the bears. I have two. I don't have male bears. I don't have three bears or ten bears. I don't have lions. I don't have rocks coming out of heaven. I don't have the earth and an earthquake swallowing people up. I don't have disease, which is what happened to the Assyrian army. I have two bears, female bears. And I don't, like I said, again, no lions. I don't have tigers. I don't. Why not two male sheep came out and killed? That reminds me of what's that uh, Monty Python and the rabbit. But obviously, <laughs> I shouldn't bring that up. People will think I'm not totally sane. Well, that's okay for them to think that. But again, I have two female bears. I don't have fire from heaven. I just had fire from heaven in Second Second Kings 1. And I've made the case that the fire from heaven equals the two female bears. They're both judgment that destroys 50 men. In this case, 42. We ask the question, why the eight all the time, right? Hopefully we'll answer that today. I will answer today why two female bears. I will. You don't believe me. <laughs> no, I promise. I promised John I would do it because he's going to be gone to his son's wedding. You don't really need me to do it. You could have done it by yourself. I would, I would ask everybody to raise their hands that has gone through and solved why two female bears killed these guys. And nobody would raise their hand because you know not to raise your hand in this class. But you also know that you, you say, well, why should I look it up? I just come and you will do it for me. I know that's the case. I'm fighting that, as you know. Okay, we're certainly not the first uh, to ask all the questions I just asked. There's quite the varied opinion on the purpose and the meaning as well as the process. And what I mean by that is there's a whole bunch more questions out there. Uh, for example, how big were the bears? How big a bear is it? What color were the bears? How do we know that they're female bears? I've asked that a lot uh, and recently here. How did the person that wrote this story down know that they were female? What? Do I stop? Okay, bears, roll over for me. Veterinarian, come in. We gotta decide if this is female or male bear. Gotta decide. They know that it's female bears. They know that it's two, and they know that it's bears. How is it common knowledge? If it's common knowledge, how did everybody know? Hey, 42 guys just got wiped out by two female bears. And we talked about that before. How many were here when I, I gave you the quick reason? Good. How long did the attack take? How long did it last? Where did the bears come from? They just happened to be there? Hey, 42 guys just happened to be mocking Elisha, calling him uh, bald head, which, by the way, leprosy. Get that out of your head that he was bald. He's 25 years old or so. He's not bald. That's a leprosy uh, a re- reference. We'll cover that in the next uh, lecture on the 14th. 
But where did these bears come from? Just happened to be there? What, like a bunch of blueberries, fishing stream? Hey, there's 42 guys making fun of Elisha. I'll go out and we'll go out and slaughter them. You take half, I'll take half. Bears got together. How common is it for she-bears to roam in pairs? I could make a joke about the bathroom here, but I won't. How common is it for she-bears to kill people in Israel? Especially taking on 50 soldiers or 42 soldiers, whatever your view may be. Know that there are two views, of course. So to rephrase the question, as we should... Why these two bears? How did this happen? What's the anatomy of it? How do I get from a group of 42 screaming at the prophet of God, him turning around and saying, what you just said is causing, you're going to be cursed for that. And then immediately two female bears come out and kill them all. How does that happen? What are what's the steps, the step by step anatomy? And not two bears, but these two bears. See, I always wish the Bible would name the bears so that I would know that everyone knew it was these two bears. It's not any two bears, it's these two. They're distinguishable. What makes them distinguishable? Once again, the why and the how. Why the two bears and how did it happen? Get in the habit. Do the same thing all the time. Romans 5.12 is a why and a how. Why the virgin birth and how did it happen? Okay, let's try some more. I'm going to tell you that these 42 are not any 42 either. They're the militia of the king. They are the king's guard. And they're sent to confront Elisha. And what are they going to do to Elisha? Same thing that was going to happen to Elijah when 50 went up there twice. He sent 50 twice to Elijah, and Elisha burnt them to the ground. And then he sent 50 again. I always ask the question, if the third captain does not throw himself on the ground and say, please don't kill me, you are, in fact, representing the God of Israel. Please spare me and my men. If he doesn't do that and he gets burned up, what happens next? A fourth captain and a fourth fifty. How many times is the king, the king is going to keep sending a captain with fifty men until what? Is he going to sacrifice his entire army? What's the answer to that? Yes, he is. He's going to let everybody in his army be killed by a consuming fire. Why would he do that? It's what he's going to do. Because he is the king who worships Baal. Or if you will, the king of Baal. We'll get to that in a minute. But this is his militia. This is his special guys. Tells me he's running out of volunteers. And they're going after Elisha to confront Elisha. And they don't say come down. They say go up. And they add the leprosy reference, the bald head reference. Okay? So, did the militia, the king's guard, sent to confront Elisha, have some connection to these two, these particular bears? Okay? Were they on a first name basis? The, the, the king's guard know about these two bears. I'm going to say that they did. This isn't stranger on stranger here. The king's militia knew about the bears and the inverse. We'll get to that in a second. Notice I'm trying to be helpful. I'm trying to add information. How do I know it's the king's guard? How do I know that they know the bears? What if anything has happened between these two female bears and this platoon of normally 50 soldiers whose assignment is usually to protect the king? When did that happen? Have they met before? Let's put it that way. Have they been in contact with each other before? I'm going to tell you they have. My conclusion. Do they have a history? If so, what happened? Were the two bears... Who's hunted in Alaska? All of us have. You wouldn't live here if you haven't. One thing that you know about bears 
the bears today, is they're capable of noticing that you're tracking them, and what do they do to you? They double back and track you. And they set up uh, ambushes for you. And if there's two of them, one will drive uh, you to the other one. That's what wolves do as well. The wolves will send somebody out. Lions will do it. They'll send a group out there, and they'll run the caribou towards the waiting group. Get them tired, wipe them out. So there's the question. Were the two bears tracking the soldiers? In other words, do we already have eight fatalities? Is that the answer to why was there 42? Because eight have already been killed by bears. These two bears after these guys? Why? Did I have eight die the first time this this group got together? How? How many bears started out? I obviously have two female bears left. Were they there? First time the bears and the soldiers got together. As some of you are aware, I used to read the, um, the Lieutenant Colonel John Henry Patterson's book. Um, both sons are here. When, they, when the boys were little, as a bedtime story, I would read them John, Lieutenant Colonel John Henry Patterson, his story. It's an unbelievable story. He was a Christian man of great faith, and he is the man that confronted the Savo Lions. They made a movie about it. Don't watch the movie. The movie has absolutely nothing of any value to the true story. The Savo Lions were extraordinary. So when Chris and Eric were seven and five, uh, 23 years ago, isn't that ridiculous? That's amazing. I would get this book on these killing machines that were these lions at bedtime and read them about, read them the story. I called that good parenting. You ask them if I did it. Yes, I did it. They'll tell you. Wasn't it fun? Yes. I still have the book. It's an incredible story about a great man of faith. He was a great man of faith. And he was dealing with two lions uh, that, uh, and the story fascinated me. And immediately when I was reading that story, the first time I got a hold of it, I said, this is the two bears. The Savo Lions and the Two Bears of Second Kings 2, 23 and 24. It seemed natural for me at the time I'm reading to the boys, and I read the book uh, when I was coaching at Bartlett many years ago. First time I got the story, I was uh, on my way to Fairbanks and uh, with a basketball team. I could not put that book down. It, uh, it was amazing to me. You should read the real book. Don't read uh, uh, Peter Hathaway Capstick's. A version of it, but go get John Henry Patterson's book, a man of, uh, a great Christian man who confronted this profound evil that was oh, so difficult to stop. He didn't know what to do with it. And I began to wonder about these extraordinary lions. Uh, they ostensibly hunted humans exclusively. They forsook all other animals. When they finally got to their den, there were bones everywhere, hundreds. They killed hundreds of human beings. And it was John Henry Patterson. He was trying to build a railroad. They were killing all of his workers. They were just jumping over huge barriers, grabbing human beings, jumping back over the barriers. The barriers were 25, 30 feet high. It's an extraordinary story. True story. There's pictures uh, of these lions. They're actually uh, at the, uh, I think the University of Chicago or a Chicago museum. I'm not sure where they are. And you can see these things, but you don't appreciate what they really look like till you saw the photographs. The, the, the uh, mounting of them doesn't do them justice. They were massive animals. But, but that wasn't what made them so unusual. They were uh, their size, certainly, but they had reasoning and strategies that were very, very uh, high level, significantly more advanced than modern lions. And John Henry Patterson had to deal with them. And they, I don't know how many of his men they killed, but it almost shut that railroad down. Just imagine a serial killer going through Anchorage. We got 325,000 people. Serial killer going through Anchorage killing 15 people a night. What that would do to the city. And so, 
That's that story. And, and so I put that story together, together to the uh, two bears almost immediately. I wanted to know how old those lions are, were. By the way, they have subjected them to DNA testing and other scientific evaluations, trying to figure out what kind of animal is this. And they are genetically different from a modern lion. They're probably some point in the background uh, um, where they would have been consistent. But just let you know, there was animals of extraordinary capability uh, in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s in Africa that were very predatory and extremely difficult to deal with. Um, uh, obviously, I asked the same questions about these two female bears who probably had cubs. That's how I know they're female. Because there were cubs. What's the obvious question now? Where's the cubs? Maybe perhaps the cubs are what? Dead. And they die. Who killed them? Did those females start tracking the killers of their cubs? We'll get to that in a minute. That would, if you start answering that, then you're going to cause the most obvious of the obvious questions. How many soldiers have been killed by these bears? What's the total? And then you ask the next question. How many bears have been killed by the soldiers? And then you keep moving along. How many wars are going on around here? Because this is so far a whole bunch of wars going on. I start with a war. I got wars all the way through. I'm ending with a war between bears and soldiers. It's apparent that a whole lot of killing is going on here. I have Baal Zebubbers killing sons of prophets. I have Elijah calling down fire, killing Baal Zebubbers. I have bears killing Baal Zebubbers. I have Baal Zebubbers killing bear cubs. Do I have that? That's my question. Again, oh, a lot of killing going on. That's pastor talk. So how do we solve this? We've got to solve it. How do you solve it? I asked you a bunch of questions. I could quit now, which is what Bill and Becky expect. John even expects it. I won't ask you how many of you approached it this way, but I want you to start approaching the Bible this way. This is how you solve it. Now, how do I solve it now? What do I do now? I've asked all those questions. I want to answer them. What do I do? I'll wait. Give me an idea. I have no idea. What do I do? Come on. That's right. He's absolutely right. Go find the bear-killing scriptures. This can't be the only bear-killing scripture. Did you think this is the only one? It's not. There's always going to be another scripture that connects it. You have to start thinking in your head, where are these other scriptures? And where is the New Testament complement to this? Got to be one. Got to be one. Where is it? So I go find the bear scriptures and then I go back to Elisha and the king who was dying from his fall because that's how we start. We start with the king dying from a fall and his conflict with Elijah, and we end with the killing bears. Those two have to fit together. So all I got to do is figure out how they fit. Add the two elements together. Now I readily admit that my method here is to get all of you, everyone, to begin reading these literally true events that actually occurred as written as prophecies and doctrines of Jesus Christ, as portraying him somehow. He's hidden in there. He's on every page of the Old Testament. Always look for him. And I don't want to just lay it out for you. I want you to be able to figure it out yourself. It's no different than these solving equations. If every single time I put an equation on the board as a math teacher, and every single time I solve the equation, what good? I'm getting really good at it. How about you? See, you have to do it. So I'm really reluctant to um, just lay it all out, but I know that sometimes I have to. I'll lay out 94%. I try to compromise with myself. As I'm writing the answer, I go, I really shouldn't give it to them. That's not going to help them. And I'll cross it out. And I'll write it again. 
But I want you to begin to look at these literally true events. Let me repeat it. They actually occurred. I actually had Elisha. I actually had 42 soldiers. I actually had two female bears come out and kill them. I actually had them say, go up, you old bald head. I actually had all of that happen, but it's also a prophecy. It also teaches doctrines of Jesus Christ. It's a prophecy of Christ and a revelation of the doctrines of Christ. This It contains amazing complexities. Which is why, by the way, God placed them in his timeless... It's these, this particular event, he put it in his Bible. Because it said something more than what just happened there. It speaks to something timeless. speaks to something that's alive. It's, it's incredibly deep. And it's essential to develop the ability to see deeply into God's scripture and stop reading the surface. Always ask, why is this in his book? Why did he put it here? Because he ultimately is the writer. What is the greater purpose of this story, if you will, this Christology? Where else is this? And then, uh, and then, and do it by yourself. That's what you have to do. Having me feed you is not optimal, right? Blah, 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 give a fish, teach the fish. Okay? So you've got to do it without me. I'm old. You're going to be on your own soon anyway. 2 Samuel 17, 8. So here we go. Let's go read 2 Samuel 17, 8. What's it going to be about? What do you think? It's going to be a bear. It's going to be bears. Okay. Now I have Absalom. Who's Absalom? He's the son of David. Does he like David? No. Who's David? David's the king. So I have the son of the king, and I have the father who is the king. And the son of the king wants to do what to the father? He wants to hunt him down and kill him so that he can become king. That's what's going on. And so uh, Absalom says he wants to call Hushai. So, and so he does. Four said Hushai, you know your father and his men, and they are mighty men. So he's telling Absalom, look, you're going up against mighty men here. David's mighty men. And they are enraged in their minds. Let me repeat it to go all again. For, said Hushai, you know your father and his men that they are mighty men and they are enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. And your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. So, Aha, I have a female bear enraged, and she is a mighty man of David, like David's mighty men. She is a killing machine. She has been robbed of her cubs. I got two of them. And they are out of their minds. They are so enraged, these two bears. And they are like... David's mighty men defending themselves against the long-haired, beautiful Absalom who seeks to kill them and the shepherd king. So now, put the two stories together. I have the soldiers of the, of the Baal king hunting the mighty men of David, the bears of David, if you will, killing their cubs, turning them into enraged men who will fight to the death who will never camp with people, who will be very difficult to deal with. And I have these beautiful Absalom soldiers, if you will, trying to kill them all, chasing them down. Okay? And see 2 Samuel 14:25 for the beauty of Absalom. Absalom was so beautiful. There was none like him. They'll talk about Absalom and they'll talk about Saul in Scripture, but mostly Absalom is this incredibly beautiful man that wanted to be king by killing the king. And you get this fantastic picture of somebody there. Who? And David's mighty men are going to fight him like an enraged female bear whose cubs have been killed. Now we'll go to Hosea 13.8. Well, we're going fine. More bears. 
This is what he says. This is God. He's talking about Baal worshippers attacking and trying to exterminate his people. So he's talking about protecting the faithful remnant from the people who have gone to apostasy, who have gone to worship Baal. I'll give you 13 of Hosea. When Ephraim spoke trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. But when he offended through Baal worship, he died. So I have Baal worship happening here, even in the priesthood, and God is going to deal with them. And here's what he says. I will meet them like a bear deprived of her cubs. I will tear open their ribcage, and there I will devour them. So God describes himself fighting the very people that are fighting Elisha. He describes himself as a female bear attacking the worshipers of Baal. So God says the two bears in in, uh, 2 Kings 2, 23 through 25, those are a picture of me attacking apostasy and evil. Attacking the people who are trying to extinguish the faithful remnant of Israel. Now just for fun, I want you to read this very important verse. If you, if you don't get anything out of the bear story today, get Hosea, because it fits in here, 13.4. I, I should read it every Sunday, but I, I don't. I don't know why I don't. Um, I am the Lord your God, he's speaking to Israel, ever since the land of Egypt, and you shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior but me. There is no Savior but me. Besides me, none. There's only one Savior. Jesus Christ doesn't get any more simpler than that. Just for fun, I'm going to do them for time. I don't have time. Just for fun, Second Samuel 17, 18 through 20 has a woman at a well hiding some guys. What should you do? You read about a woman hiding some guys at a well, put some grain over the, puts a, essentially, well, I'll call it a blanket, but puts a covering over it pours grain over it, hides the well from Absalom so he doesn't know the well's there, and she's got two guys hiding it. i got a woman at a well. What should I do now? Go find all the women at the well. Compare those two, right? i got 2 Samuel 18. I've got Absalom hanging from a tree, cut open. A man who wants to kill the king, who wants to kill the shepherd king. The king of Israel wants to kill him. A son, a beautiful son, is now hanging from a tree, cut open. Who should I compare him to? Judas. Okay? That's how you figure this stuff out. It's how you come, go find Judas hanging from a tree and compare him with Absalom. Both of them were beautiful. Both of them were great leaders of men. Both of them were incredible intellects. Both of them were profoundly wicked. Judas being, uh, Absalom is a picture of Judas. Judas is the fulfillment of the Absalom prophecy. Okay? Discipline yourself always to do that. Okay, next, the context. The two bears slaughtering 42, as again, is the culmination, is the conclusion of what starts in 2 Kings 1. It starts with 2 Kings 1, and it ends with the two bears killing uh, the 42. Okay? So you've got to keep that in mind. The two fair, uh, the two female bears um, who have been robbed of their children, to track down these soldiers, the 42, and they're going to wipe them out. Again, the Second Kings 1 context. So go ahead, uh, let's, go, let's go back to Second Kings 1, just have it in front of you, so that you can follow along. I'm not going to read it, I'm just going to point to stuff, we don't have time. The king of Baal, if you remember Second Kings 1, how we started this, we end with the killing with the two bears. But how we start is I have the king of Baal has fallen and he's hurt badly. He's wounded, if you will. His life is ending. He's dying. And the king, he the king, he sends messengers to Baal Zebub. Let me say that again. Baal Zebub. I was telling Lori, Billy Bob. He sends... He sends messengers to Baal Zebub. Who is Baal Zebub? 
If I said, who is Beelzebub, who would you answer? That's the name of Satan, isn't it? So I have, he's sending messengers. He's dying. He sends messengers to Baal-zebub. Essentially, he says, Satan, will I recover? And look, what happens is, but the angel of the Lord. Who is the angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord is the second person of the triune Godhead. That's Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ intervenes. When he sees his dying king of Baal, who's trying to exterminate as many faithful Jews as he can, destroy the remnant of God in the human population of Israel, get rid of them all, kill them all, he sends a message to Satan when he's injured or dying, will I recover? And Christ himself intervenes and says through Elijah, Is it because there's no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Satan? Do you think there's no God in Israel? Are you that dumb? Is that why you're doing it? You think I'm not here, baby? I'm here. That's what he's saying to the king of Baal. See, there's war happening here. The prophets of Baal attempting to exterminate, extinguish the Jewish remnant, the faithful remnant. And obviously the Baal king is feeling like he's got it in hand, isn't he? And he's a, he's a hey, I'm, I'm, I'm injured here. Go find out if Satan will do what? If he's going to fix this. Because I'm in trouble. But is it time for me to end what I'm doing? Remember, I said, how many guys would he send to Elisha to get wiped out? How many? He'd send them all. Because what does the king of Baal, who does he represent? He represents the Antichrist. And the Antichrist wants one thing. He wants God to kill as many of the people that follow the Antichrist as possible. That's what he wants. Because he knows God loves them, but God will end sin. There's no greater joy for Satan and the Antichrist than to send people who believe they're going to kill God. How dumb can you be? And all that's going to happen is God will end sin and weep. That's what will happen. So obviously the king of Baal is feeling like he has the upper hand and he's willing to publicly inquire now of Baal Zebub and Baal Zebub is declared by the king to be the one true God because the one, this is the God who can save from death. Now we're back to Hosea 13.4. There is no savior from death except Jesus Christ. He is the only saver. And now Christ says to the king, do you do this because you think I have abandoned my people Israel? That you can kill them all or have me kill them all? Is that why you're inquiring of Satan? Are you asking him, how much time do you have left? By the way, does the Antichrist die? How is he? Is he, is he resurrected? We'll have to study that. That's in Revelation. So the Antichrist knows things about Satan that you may not know. But Christ says to the king, do you do this because you think I have abandoned my people? So we're talking about the doctrine of the return of Christ, the second coming versus the rapture, right? Christ is coming for the nation of Israel after he has taken the church away. He comes and lands on the earth, feet on the earth, Mount of Olives, and he comes with fire, consuming fire. That's a whole lot of consuming going on now. So I submit that what we're seeing here is an Antichrist, Tribulation, Armageddon reference. And I want you again notice 2 Kings 1, 15 through 16. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. God says to Elisha, don't be afraid of the Antichrist. This king, don't be afraid of the king. Then he said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baal Zebub, it is because there is no, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So, 
what Christ says to the king through Elijah. Uh, don't he says to Elijah, don't be afraid of this king. He's going to die. In other words, Christ says, Jesus Christ, the God of Israel in the flesh, also known as the angel of God, creator God of all things. I am the only savior of, of anybody who dies, and I'm going to kill the king of Babylon. Where are we now in the New Testament? We're Revelation 19. Notice how Baal, Babylon, is interchangeable. Thus, I'm saying we have to search. How am I doing, Terry? Two minutes. One minute of drinking medicine. Okay. We must search now for two females who fight on the side of the God of Israel. Okay? Against Baal, against Baal Babylon, because they're interchangeable, and they fight with ferocity. While Babylon, the king of Babylon, is trying to exterminate the Jews. I've got to find two females who fight. Okay, females are what? I got two of them. I don't have three, I got two. What are females in the Bible? Women in the Bible. As symbols. What are they always as symbols? They're either nations or they're entities, religious entities. So I gotta find two religious entities, I have to find two nations that fight on the side of of the king. And that sends us, by the way, to Daniel eleven forty, Isaiah nineteen, Isaiah thirteen six through fourteen twenty three, Jeremiah fifty, thirty nine through forty two. I don't have time to read Daniel eleven forty through forty five, but that's a description of two nations who rise up and attack the Antichrist when he moves towards the extermination of the Jews in Jerusalem. As he moves, they attack him. I got two countries. Of all the countries in the world, I got two that are going to fight him. Nobody's going to fight but these two. Everybody else is going to lay down. Not these two. They're going to fight. One of them comes from the north and attacks Babylon and burns it to the ground. They're pretty impressive. That's the Kurds. That's the Assyrian Empire. What's left of it? They attack. The other is southern Egypt. They attack. And they get beat to crud. I'm not allowed to say crap anymore. They get slaughtered up. They get, they get butchered. Next week, or not next week, the 14th of July, we will talk about those two nations, those two female bears. Okay, am I off? Am I off now? No. Then we go to Isaiah 14, 3 through 11, then Isaiah 19, 18 through 25, and then I want you to note, by the way, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, where the names of Christ are given, one of them being Mighty Father. He is mighty father. You get an idea of who he really is when you read Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. And that's the beginning, in my view, to the solution of the two female she-bears. Women as nations. Bears as nations at war. Military capability. And two equals two. Because there's only two. Okay? In July of the 14th, we're going to nail down the go up you bald head more, more thoroughly so you understand why that brought a curse upon them. It's about the res- body resurrection of Christ, as I've said previously. But mostly I'm going to cover the campaign of Armageddon and the, uh, and the missing eight guys and the 42 that were killed. Okay? Let's rise. Be dismissed.